You are now tuned in to the newest episode of Fish Bites, a Fish Stripes SB Nation production podcast, also aired every Monday on Slam Radio XM, Sirius XM, channel 145. My name is Danny Martinez, and on the docket, we have quite a few amount of things. One, I'm going to explain why today is only part one of a two-part episode. Two, we're going to discuss a little bit about what we are going to produce in the offseason. The baseball offseason can get very long, or it could be stretches of no information. I'm sure that at some point, a managerial rumor will come up, or a trade acquisition, or a free agency speculation. But for the most part, I want to discuss what we are going to be producing from Fish Bites, Fish Stripes, over the off season in accordance with this podcast. We also have two special guests, which I won't give their names out quite yet because we still have to uh, conduct the scheduling purposes of this, but two guests, one with the Marlins, one outside of the Marlins, but both very prominent, both individuals that you will know that I'm excited to get on hopefully over the next month or so. Now, why this is part one is because today we are actually doing an award special an end-of-year award special, but we're not going to be giving out the actual designations yet. Today is just about the nominees, right? Top starting pitcher, MVP, most disappointing, most improved. We're going to be going through all of these brackets. I'm going to list them out for you in a second. And we're going to talk a little bit about the nominations that were sent in either by listeners that knew that I was going to be doing something to this extent or peers. This is not, however where we decide the award. That is on you. Today is part one because the process is that you listen to this, hopefully sooner rather than later, and then by Monday of this week, we will have all of the brackets out either on fishstripes.com or on my personal social media account where you would then be able to vote because from episode number 1.1 of myself hosting this podcast, I have stated that this has to be a voice of the fan right and if that's the case then we have to end the way that we started our award our finalists for the year have to be chosen by the fan so that's what we're going to do today's part one i'm going to go through different brackets go through nominees we're going to you know plaster the polls and the brackets either on fiststripes.com or on my own personal um media account which you could find me at twitter at danny m underscore mia so d-a-n-n-y m underscore m-i-a i'm sure fish stripes the account at fish stripes will also retweet the polls and then we will get a good uh, foundational understanding of what you guys believe should be the designations and the awards that episode will then be part two of this little series We will come back, whether it's next week or whether it's after the interviews with the two guests that I mentioned, and we will display and share the results. I'm sure that there will be some results that I agree with. I'm sure there will be some results that I have questions about. But either way, it'll make for a good conversation where we can discuss why a Brian Anderson was selected for something over a Harold Ramirez or why a Sandy was not chosen or whatever the case may be. So for over the next month, look for that. We start off with today's episode with the nominees. We might sandwich the other episode of the results with a few interviews in between. And if those schedules don't work out, then we could just go right to the second part of this episode and actually get to the results. So that explains what we're going to do 
in this last week, or rather this last month of baseball in September. However, it doesn't explain what we're going to do for the off season. I, I was trying to figure out what the topics and what the conversations might be, right? I have no problem being dynamic. Listen, there are some things that I'm about to record and something happens the hour before I'm going to record, and I change the topic. I change the conversation. I try to get as much input from the fans, and quite a lot of the episodes this year have been directly from emails have been directly from face-to-face conversations at Marlins Park of someone who's heard the show or emails that have been sent my way where they've gotten my email from the masthead of fishstripes.com or just simple tweets that have been directed at me. So there's nothing wrong with being dynamic. But I wanted to lay out a plan for you guys and I wanted to get feedback on that plan because I think it's a pretty good one. Like I mentioned before, the off-season can be rather long in baseball. And the off-season being rather long leads to individuals like myself that are trying to host a show having a very difficult uh, situation presented in front of them, which is how do you engage with listeners and what kind of topics can you bring up? So the obvious ones are whatever is happening that week, if something comes up, I'm going to discuss it, right? If if we find out that Donnie's not coming back, we're going to have a conversation about potential managers. When we start hearing rumors or we have information ourselves about managerial candidates, we're going to share it with you. If there's a speculation of a free agent that might be coming to Miami, you get you get the gist, a trade, we're going to have that conversation. But here is where we get creative. What about for all the time that there's dead weeks in the off season? Well, what we're going to do is a comprehensive, and maybe this is where my own uh, doctoral research comes into play, a comprehensive research and analytical perspective of the state of each position in the Marlins organization. And that does mean looking at the minor league system as well, something that Earning Their Stripes has been doing this entire offseason. For what it's worth, we're also going to have a similar show on Earning Their Stripes of, uh, of what we're doing today, which is you know nominees and, and us, myself, Ethan, and Ian deciding and choosing who our own uh, you know, top-hitting prospects or top-hitting prospects might be. So be on the lookout for that. But nonetheless, I digress. We're going to be looking at position by position. Each single episode is going to have one position. So there's going to be one Monday that you're just listening to me talking about pitching. That one will probably be a long episode because I will dissect and analyze what we have at pitching level at the, at the major league level, at the AAA level, AA level, all the way down to rookie ball. It is a thorough analysis, systematic review of what the Marlins look like at each position. Now... I have no problem starting off with starting pitcher, pitching, and then going to catcher and first base and second base, et cetera, et cetera, down the, down the batting order and down the lineup. I have no problem with that. But I want you to let me know if there is a particular position that you want to hear sooner rather than later. There are going to be some that are much deeper, right? I, I'm going to start with pitching because if I'm going to throw myself into this amount of research, might as well start with the one that's going to take the longest, right? And likely the one that people are going to mo- mo- uh, more certainly want to listen to and be interested in. There's no doubt that the Marlins have what is close to being an elite farm system when it comes on the mound and when it comes to the production on the mound. So we are going to discuss from the Pablo Lopez's and the Sandy Alcantara's of the world to all the way down to the Luis Palacios of the world, what the Marlins look like on the mound. And then we're going to move forward to the catcher in first base and second base, unless you guys have a particular set and position that you want me to hit 
beforehand. So that is one of the things that we will do in the off season. The others, we're going to, of course, continue with interviews. Now that the season is over, there are going to be some players, hopefully, with respect to their time, that have availability or some within the front office or whatever the case may be that could come on and share perspectives of what they're doing in the off season and what they're doing for the community and how this season ended up and what they're looking for in 2020. So interviews will also be a part of it. Third, we're going to continue with fan interviews. We're going to pick that back up. We took a break of it for a bit because there was so much content that, you know, we wanted to really get to um, on a solo show. And then we'll have those dynamic conversations as well, whatever the newest uh, speculation is or rumor is or the managerial search, whatever the case may be, that's what we are going to pick up. But just keep in mind episode we're going to go position by position analysis i can guarantee you that you will not get more in-depth analysis anywhere else and that's not to rag on anyone you know i love all the fellow podcasts uh, but there is a big database of work that i am putting together and the purpose of that is to engage in the off season but today today is step one of the awards finalist show for fish bites I want to make sure that we review all of the deserving candidates and nominees. And I have one rule. The one rule is this. Every single bracket that I give you, whether it's top pitcher or hitter, improve, whatever the case may be, I'm going to at least give you three nominees. Those nominees have been decided either with peer consultation or even with some listener input. Those are not the only finalists. My rule is that there is always going to be an other option in the pools because there are some of these brackets, believe it or not, where enough players, or rather there are too many players to fill in just three options. So whether it's on fishstripes.com or uh, whether it's you know writing on the replies on fishstripes.com or whether it's tweeting under the particular bracket as a write-in option for the Twitter polls, I want you to understand that you're not limited to voting for these three players in each bracket. You can add another corresponding player or another explanation or whatever the case is. The only other thing I'll say before we get to the lists, I have a good amount here, eight, 10 brackets that we have. If there is something that you feel that I am missing, the reason that this episode is split into two different airings is because I want to get that feedback. Of course, I need the votes. So that's the other reason, the primary reason. But I want to get the feedback if there is a bracket that you think I'm missing. If, if after I list the awards here, you feel that there is something that I have clearly overlooked that we should include, I don't know what it would be because if I know it, it's already on here. But another award that you think that should be sent out, let me know and I'll add it. But for now, here's what we have. We have top starting pitcher. We have top relief pitcher. Top hitter. Most improved. Most disappointing, biggest surprise of the year, gold glove recipient, fish stripes captain, fish bites captain, our rookie of the year, the moment of the year, and of course we wrap up with MVP, most valuable player. Now that is rather expansive list. I, I think that that incorporates quite a lot of what we want, but if there is something that you feel should be added, another bracket that we should consider, let me know and I'll make sure to add it. It's going to start off with what is likely one of the more competitive ones 
of the year. It'd be even more competitive if Zach Gallen was still in this candidacy. And you know how I feel about that trade. 50-50 at best. You got an elite shortstop prospect. At some point, we have to get over the fact that, yes, Zach Gallen is going to be very good. I was telling people that when people were telling me that I didn't know what I was talking about and that he was just a throw-in. But even without Zach Gallen in the lineup and with, you know, Yamamoto getting hurt, we still have three very excellent candidates plus the other of whoever you might want to consider. We're going to start off with Caleb Smith. Caleb Smith, and before I say this, uh, I'm not going to give you too much information and stats on each one. I'm going to give you a little bit, right? So you have some base of knowledge, which I'm sure you would already have on who I'm discussing. But I don't want to give you too much because I don't want to influence your vote. I really want it to be that you guys are voting on who you believe is most worthy and who deserves the reward and the award. However, I will give you some information, obviously, to at least, I don't know, validate the fact that I have him up there as a nominee and that we have him up there as a nominee. So the first one is Caleb Smith, and this one should be relatively easy. Listen, dominant first half, right? Some injury concerns. He regressed a little bit towards uh, the end of the first half, and that's probably the only reason that he wasn't the all-star candidate, or rather the all-star representative for your Miami Marlins, but dominant nonetheless. And, And it wasn't just the first half. We all know that the second half has not been as pretty the second half has not been as clean but overall for the year he still has he's still been a two-win player he's still been a two-win uh pitcher when we're looking at war wins above replacement particularly when we're looking at baseball reference for for the purposes of this episode i will look at both and i will present both to you for instance in caleb smith baseball reference war he's a two-win player 2.0 in fan graphs he's a 1.3 so there is a somewhat significant difference there almost of 200 percent where fan graphs look at him as a 1.3 player and baseball reference has him as a two-win player something to consider but still above replacement level regardless of which outlet you're going to look at and we all remember when caleb smith was truly the ace of this staff in the first half. The second nominee is the actual all-star of the Marlins, Sandy Alcantara, in what is still considered a rookie year. I was about to say many don't realize. And what many don't realize is still a rookie year. Sandy is the leader in wins above replacement pitching uh, value in both baseball reference, B-War and fan graphs. He is a 2.7 in B-War. He's almost a three-win player in baseball reference, and a 2.2 in F4. Fangraphs really uh, doesn't like the Marlins as much as baseball reference does, and quite frankly, I actually side with Fangraphs on this. Uh, Fangraphs uses more of a projective analysis and fielding independent pitching, while baseball reference uses more ERA. What's interesting here, however, is that while I typically sign with FIP, because I believe that that tells you more about future outcome, which is exactly what FIP is. Right, FIP is a hypothetical world where baseball isn't dependent on the defense and rather just on what the pitcher controls. That's hypothetical and it's projective. However, in an award show, it actually might be more beneficial to use B-War and Baseball Reference, which looks at ERA, because the reality is we're looking back at the performance and the actual performance is ERA. The actual performance on the field is not FIP for as much as I love it. Again, FIP is projective. FIP is hypothetical. ERA is what actually happens. So you dance with those two however you want to. You know that I always say I go with both of them. It tells me current performance, past performance, and it tells me what I should be expecting moving forward when it comes to FIP. But either way, you dice it or slice it. Sandy Alcantara is the best pitcher when you're looking at value for this 2019 Miami Marlins. And he did it 
with the vast majority of the season being played as a 23-year-old. I think, okay, I think that the people who have come at me and at the Marlins and at anyone for Sandy Alcantara might have to take a seat back this year and listen to those of us that have said he hasn't just flashed number two or better stuff. He has shown it. And for someone who I have called myself inconsistent at 23 years of age, he just turned 24 a few days ago, he's actually been one of the more consistent pitchers in the Marlins and in, ready, the National League. When you're looking at players and pitchers, rather, that have gone five innings pitch with three earned runs or less, he has put up more of those than any other Marlin, number one, and he's in the top half of the National League. A few episodes ago, it was that 23 of the last 25, he had gone at least five innings pitch, and he's put up more quality starts since then, especially this last weekend over uh, against the Giants. This is someone who has shown flashes of being an ace. Ground ball, Rojas, Diaz, and Prado picks it out of the dirt. Sandy gets exactly what he needed, and the defense behind him, stellar. And he is in out away from another seventh strikeout. Gets Phillips popular in yeah. school tomorrow, too. Here's a 2 2 pitch. Oh, yeah. Cold strike three. Strikeout number eight. Complete game and shutout number two for Sandy Alcantara. Absolutely peak Sandy on a Sunday afternoon. And whose status has likely changed the most this year from someone who might be a pen piece to maybe he doesn't even belong in the major leagues to someone that we're clearly seeing dividends and projectives of possibly being a two or better at the major league level. So, so far, Caleb Smith and Sandy Alcantara for top starting pitcher. The third one is likely no surprise. It's Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez is interesting. Number one, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. I'm always going to say this on this show when he is brought up. It, it, it's just incredible the type of person that he is. And then on the field, we're never really sure what we're going to get when it comes out of performance because he shows you and he flashes that number two ability that Sandy does as well. Heck, there are games that he looks like a dominant ace. And yet there are games where he just crumbles, where it gets away from him. Where the command is spotty and all of a sudden he's given up seven runs or six runs or ten runs. And while this is not indicative of someone who is going to be playing at this level uh, of inconsistency or of just shelling out in any type of game throughout his career. Remember he's only 23. It is still something to consider with him. Because once again when we're talking about awards for the year it's more about what he's actually done ERA than what we could projectively and hypothetically assume from what he's controlled, which is FIP. Interestingly, his FIP is actually lower than anyone else in this group, in this group of nomination. It's lower than Sandy's and it's lower than Caleb's. However, the results and the durability simply has not been there. I'll add this, once again, only 23. A lot of people forget that. The same way they forget Sandy was a rookie this year, they forget Pablo's only 23 because he came up last year. And we feel like we've known him now for a year and a half, almost two, almost two years. How can he only be 23? You know, he's younger than Sandy. To have Pablo and Sandy be already considered top starters at a major league staff, whether it's the rebuilding Marlins or not, is impressive at their ages. Top starting pitcher, 
those you have to consider. Caleb Smith, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, or someone else that you want to write in. Top relief pitcher will not take quite as lengthy of a conversation to discuss. Because if we're being honest, after Sojo Roma was shipped out to the Twins in what I believe was a good deal, and after Nick Anderson was shipped out to the Rays in what I also believe was a good deal, this selection became simple. So simple because there are only three relief pitchers on the Marlins <laughs> that are even above replacement level. Garland Garcia at a 1.2. Again, remember replacement level wins above. Replacement is zero is average. Or rather, zero is replacement level. Garland Garcia at a 1.2. Tyler Kinley's your other designation at a 0.6. And Austin Bryce, who is currently hurt at a 0.4. Look, we're being honest. The pen is likely the weakest link of this team at the moment. It's it's not the offense. Really, it isn't. It, it's the pen. The offense at least has pieces that you can look and clearly designate as future pieces that are currently performing. Because you could do that with the pen with a Ryan Stanek, but we've seen the ups and downs. We can do that with a Jose Urania, but we still have to prove himself as a valuable pen arm. We can see it with the Garcia, Kinley, and Bryce as well. But it's just not there at the level that the pitching staff is, not even close. And it is still a step behind the offensive value. So this is, a, this is a unit I believe would have a lot of turnover this year. And definitely from 2020 to 2021, I would expect a completely different bullpen unit. With the exception of a few like a Stanek, maybe a Bryce or a Kenley. I would expect an entirely different unit by 2021. Nonetheless, your selections, Yarlene Garcia, Tyler Kenley, Austin Bryce, and whoever else you might want to add on there. Top hitter. Not to be confused with most valuable player, they are different in my eyes. This is the top hitter who is the most productive at bats and who is the most effective and efficient when making contact. You have three options here, and I don't think it'll surprise anyone. Brian Anderson, Harold Demers, and Garrett Cooper. I think some are, might be surprised that George Alfaro isn't in there, especially over the last month. The way he's picked up his numbers, he's improved from last year. His slugging, his home run production, it's been good. But he doesn't quite make the cut for me he might make the cut for you and you add him on as a write-in but for me i think we start off with brian anderson hitting 261 got on base 34 percent of the time almost slugging 470 his weighted runs created plus is 114 which is well above average average being 100 his fan graphs offensive value is 9.2 when you start getting to 10 you're talking about tier one type of players tier two type of players he's at a 9.2 he's knocking on the door remember this is only his second pro year at the major league level last year was his rookie year. He knocked 20 homers, 66 RBIs, and 811 on base plus slugging. Now he got hurt. He got hurt and he's out for the rest of the year. He should be back by spring training, so that's not something to be concerned about. I still will say that he is the person that you should be extending this offseason. I will say it continuously. It just is what it is. Sue me. You need to extend Brian Anderson. But what we have seen from BA is all of a sudden he's matched his offense and his defense very well and he's become an incredibly valuable player hint hint you'll hear him in the mvp conversation when i have it towards the end of the con uh, of the recording today but when we're talking about top hitter i just think he's an incredibly complete hitter who clearly deserves to have an option and to be part of the finalist here and fangraph seems to agree with that 9.2 offensive value very close to great to excellent to elite level at a 10 the second option is a man with the word hitting in his name. Hitting Harold Ramirez is slashing 273, getting on base 31% of the time, slugging over 400 at a 414. 
He's someone that I was begging to get called up, right? If you heard Earning Their Stripes, you've heard me and my and the boys talking about it, Ian and Ethan, discussing the fact that Harold can hit, get him up, let's see what he can do. But here's where even he surprised me. He's hit for some power. He's slugging over 400. He has 10 home runs. RBI is somewhat more of a subjective indicator of the team, but he's close to 50. And remember, he didn't break opening uh, roster with this team, so he has many less at-bats than, than the regulars do. And an OPS flirting around 730, this is someone whose status also significantly changed. You're going to hear me say that a lot today. Where status is important here, because Harold went from someone that was not even on the major league uh, radar for many teams, to now being in less than a year an individual that many are considering at the very least a good successful stopgap at the major league level. And quite frankly, I might start considering him more than just a stopgap. I know that there are some elite outfield prospects in the minor league system, but guess what? They actually have to show what they can do before they get the crown. Harold Ramirez continues to hit. Harold Ramirez should likely be the opening opening day left fielder in 2020. And if he keeps hitting like this, it doesn't matter how many top 100 designated prospects are in the minor league system. They're not going to push Harold off. Our third option and nominee here is Garrett Cooper. Garrett Cooper is also someone who fits that mold of status changing. If you remember, the question this uh, offseason was, well, who's going to make the roster? Is it going to be Garrett Cooper? Is it going to be Peter O'Brien? That question has been answered in an incredibly, incredibly solidified fashion. Because Garrett Cooper is hitting 281, getting on base 34% of the time. Actually has a higher on base percentage than Brian Anderson by two points, by .02 points rather. And is slugging 446. His weighted runs created plus is 110 at the moment, 15 home runs, 50 RBIs, flirting with an 800 OPS. This is again someone who went from maybe someone we give a flyer on, possibly depth at the major league system, maybe not even, maybe depth at the minor league system, to now sitting at the table when we're discussing in the offseason what they're going to do at first base. This is the chairman right now. Because he's sitting there and there's nothing that has happened other than the injury concerns to say that they have to replace him. Could they? Sure. Will Elewen Diaz, the, the power hitting lefty with apparently gold glove defense at first base all of a sudden. Will Elewen Diaz come and push off Garrett Cooper? That's possible. Will a Jose Abreu be enough of a PR marketing dream for the Miami Marlins to be pursued in free agency? That's possible. But even if that's the case... You move Brian Anderson back to third. Garrett Cooper and his 110, which is above average, weighted runs created plus, moves over to right field. And you have your first baseman in Jose Abreu, a Justin Smoke, a Lewin Diaz, whichever way you want to pursue that. Garrett Cooper has gone from someone who is considered depth to being one of the most valuable offensive pieces on the Marlins. And that's why he is one of the nominees for top hitter of the year. Others to consider here, Starlin Castro. If you look at traditional stats, his RBIs, his home runs, the second half has made him amongst the leaders in those categories. So I'm assuming there are some uh, fans that will look at a little bit more old-fashioned uh, perspective and say that Starling Castro should be a nominee. I have no problem with that. And then John Birdie, who you're going to hear from in a different uh, section later on in this show. John Birdie is also someone that you might consider. If there's someone else that I'm missing, let me know. But this is actually much tighter of a race than you would have imagined for a team that apparently had, quote-unquote, no offense. The next bracket is most improved and this one's really interesting 
because the reality is that it's hard to improve on a lack of foundation, right? Well, the Marlins don't have a lot of veteran players that had struggled that then remained into 2019 and then all of a sudden are these phenomenal players that would be clear indicators. But this is where that status situation comes into play, the same status situation that I discussed earlier where the status within the organization might have greatly changed depending on how they did this year. A very good example of that is with Sandy Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara goes from being a prospect which many are indicating or thought was going to be a relief pitcher, was going to have his ups and downs, and possibly might not even make it to the major leagues, to now all of a sudden being a clear number three with flashes of a number two and a number one moving forward at only 24 years of age. And I'll remind everyone again, he will be 24 all up until next September, so all of next season, when then he will turn 25, obviously. A Garrett Cooper is another option here. Once again, he didn't play much last year, very similar to Sandy at the major league level. He got hurt, so how do you improve on that? Well, because of the status change, he goes from that individual that might just be depth that was being compared with a Peter O'Brien with, you know, is he even going to be at the major league level to all of a sudden sitting and saying, no, I am at first base. Someone's going to have to come and outperform me to get this position. And then we have one that might actually fit that old standard most improved because Miguel Rojas is a veteran because Miguel Rojas has been here from the previous core. And because Melgo Rojas has improved in every single offensive category that you could look at, K percentage is down, walk percentage is up, his entire slash line, average, on-base percentage, slugging, increased. He has added an entire win to his war, whether you're looking at baseball reference, whether you're looking at fan graphs. He actually has the second highest war when you're looking at fan graphs at a 1.7 behind Brian Anderson's 3-plus win season. Miguel Rojas, likely for me, and I told you I wouldn't influence your vote, he's probably my most improved. Because not only does he fit the bill of improved on the field as a veteran, he's also fit that bill of improved his status within the organization. Like a Sandy and like a Garrett, Miguel Rojas goes from depth, even being behind JT Riddle, to JT Riddle not even having to be on the roster anymore, at least at the active roster. Miguel Rojas will be the opening day starter next year unless the Marlins get incredibly creative in this offseason, which I don't think they will since they already got creative with the Jazz Chisholm trade. I hope Miguel Rojas sticks. I hope Miguel Rojas is someone who they find a role for, whether Jazz Chisholm takes that spot or someone else comes on. Because when the Marlins are competitive again, good teams win with Miguel Rojas's on the roster. So that's the most improved for me. Sandy Alcantara, Miguel Rojas, Garrett Cooper. You go ahead and consider whoever else you might want to write in. And now we have one that's not exciting. We have from improvement to disappointment. And as soon as I say that, I would imagine that there are some individuals that know who they're going to vote for here. Louis Brinson is the first name that comes to mind. And the reality is it comes to mind because we know the player that he can be. We know the prospect that he was. We've seen it even this year. He gets demoted, he goes to AAA, and he leads the team in OPS while he's there. This is a five-tool player who, for whatever reason, when he gets at the major league level, simply has not been able to figure it out. 
I am possibly one of the minority here where I still believe in a Lewis Brinson. And people will call me a fool for that. So be it. I'm not going to give up on a 25-year-old with this type of tool profile. Do we have to reassess his ceiling like Eli Sussman wrote up beautifully, fishstripes.com, a month ago or so? Yes. I think we need to reassess what he eventually can be. But I'm not here to give up on him. With that being said, I'm also not here to say that this isn't a disappointing season. Last year, by no stretch, was a good season for him. And yet this year, average is down, OBP is down, slugging is down. There's no power whatsoever. Coming into this year, he was the highest home runs per nine of the returning Marlins because JT Rimoto was gone. So he was it. He was supposed to be the power production coming back. He has zero home runs. Now you might say, well, Danny, he's hit a few homers in AAA during his demotion. Absolutely. But he has a, a good amount of time at the major league level this year and has not produced one single single home run. That's disappointing. I'm sure if Sweet Lou was here sitting next to me, standing next to me, he'd say the same thing. Yes, I'm disappointed in the season. With that being said, we continue the process. With that being said, you don't give up on a 25-year-old. And the reality is that the defense has improved this year. His defense has been his saving grace. He's gone from being a negative defender to being a positive defender And when we're talking about value. So there's something there. There's something there that we can click with. But there is no doubt that the clock is ticking. And that with the impressive amount of prospect talent that's coming up, unless he starts hitting like a Harold Ramirez, he's going to eventually end up with the ceiling that Harold once had. Peter O'Brien is an interesting candidate here because once again, he was being discussed with Garrett Cooper in the same situation towards opening day. Oh, well, Peter O'Brien's going to be the opening day starter. Peter O'Brien's going to be the, the future. At the very least, he's going to be the stopgap at the professional level until they solve the future. Well, he's not here. Peter O'Brien's status has changed. From someone who could be the answer to someone who could be a stopgap to someone who's not on the major league roster. That's someone that individuals forget about. I'm a big fan of his. I, I you know, local kid. Uh, UM, I, I love it. I love it. It would have been a great story, but I'm sure that he would also agree it's been a disappointing year for him. And lastly, another person that individuals tend to forget about because he's been hurt for uh, quite a bit. Tyron Guerrero came into the season possibly being the future closer, future star closer of the Marlins. He has all of the velocity. He has all of the movement, even if he doesn't seemingly know where it's always going. And he's fallen flat this year. His strikeouts per nine is down. His walks per nine is up. His home run per nine is up. And both his ERA and fielding independent pitching are up. This isn't one where you have to dance with the ERA and the FIP to really decipher where you're at. No, he's been bad with both. He also has a status change, like I've mentioned, with the other players. From a potential dominant closer with electric stuff to likely a middling reliever with electric and uncontrollable stuff. It's unfortunate to have the conversation of disappointing players, but it has to be had. I'm not sure that anyone gets any excitement or happiness voting for these guys. I think we all want them to succeed. I think we could all feel from an empathic psychological perspective how tough it must be for Lewis Brinson. For a Peter O'Brien, for a Tyron Guerrero, but at the end of the day, when we're talking about most disappointing, they're the names on the roster. How about biggest surprises to <laughs> kind of lighten us up a little bit? Because here's the thing, and here's what I love about rebuilding seasons, whether it's, you know, eventually now with the Miami Dolphins or whether it's what we've experienced with the Marlins and the Florida Marlins prior. Surprises always show up. There's something about a rebuilding roster that gives guys like a John Birdie the ability to surprise you. And it hasn't been any different this year. John Birdie 
is the first one that we're going to discuss and I'm going to assume is the one that everyone's going to vote for here because when you're 29 and you just have a little cup of coffee and you've been a, a career minor leaguer and you come up and you actually have an above average weighted runs created plus and you're hitting 254, getting on base 34% of the time and it's not like you're slapping singles, you have a slugging over 400, you're going to get some love from me and you're going to get some love from the fans. He doesn't also just limit himself to offense. Defensively, he's above replacement level at center field, at shortstop, wherever you want to put him. The guy's a scrappy player. Maybe we call him an old school player. I don't know. But he's good. Excellent base running as well, by the way. 5.1 base running value from fan graphs with a zero being average. You know, this is the guy that when you log into your TV or when you tune into the game on Fox Sports Florida, you're excited to see him. And it's not because of the name. You're not excited until he actually does something. But he does something so frequently that eventually you're like, all right, let's see John Birdie. Let's see what you're going to do. Rebuilding seasons deserve themselves a John Birdie or so. And he might be the bracket buster. You know, I always say he's the he's the projected lineup buster. Possibly. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm still not sold. But it's damn exciting to see what he's been doing. And he definitely deserves this nomination the other two guys that i would include here are guys with very small sample sizes you know magnar sierra has come up and he's produced well i think he's still a little bit too aggressive and not wise enough on the base paths with steel with stolen bases he actually has a negative uh base running value from fan graphs but you could see the electricity there he's hitting 318 i'm sure there's a lot of people that love that yeah, it's exciting to see him. You know, he's still very young. It's a surprise because everyone had written him off. So I'm excited that he's doing well. But you know how I feel about this designation, who it should go to. The third option is going to be Jordan Yamamoto. And this, again, is somewhat of a small sample size. But the flash, and I don't want to say it's a flash in the pan. I believe he's going to be good. But the flash this year was so bright that he deserves to be here as part of the biggest surprises. One, because I think it's a surprise he got called up so early and two because he was dominant that first month that he got called up so much so that ESPN Honolulu is calling us for interviews so much so that 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 ESPN uh all the fantasy baseball app has him as the highest rated Marlin for the year you know Jordan Yamamoto for someone who doesn't light up the velocity for someone who really has to have precision and control dominated really good lineups in the Cardinals back-to-back -back nights dominated other very good lineups in the National League. Was the surprise fizzled away? Absolutely. And he got hurt now and the performance wasn't there. But when it was happening, I think that it's fair to say Jordan Yamamoto is one of the biggest surprises of the year. So John Birdie, Mag Sierra, Jordan Yamamoto are the nominees that I present to you. And of course, if you have a write-in, you let me know. Gold Glove recipient is going to be very uh, you know standard and self-explanatory. Who is best with the glove? The, the sweet, the sexy, the clean, the beautiful glove and defense. And really, the Marlins have the luxury of having three above-average defenders on Fangraph's value system of defense at catcher, at shortstop, and then at third and at right field. And when I say that, you immediately know who it is. George Alfaro has a 9.5 defensive value. Again, when you're flirting with 10, you're talking about Tier 1, Tier 2 type of players. We know with Alf the issue is pass balls, and that comes from his aggression of trying to steal strikes and with some issues with blocking. And yet a 9.5, and that is even with his framing taking a dip from last year. It's impressive what George Alfaro does behind the dish, and it's exciting that he's the one that's leading this young staff and this young talented staff. Miguel Rojas has been close to a lead at shortstop. 11.4 defensive value. 
Are there limitations there? Certainly. But when you are able to field and throw with the accuracy that he has from deep in the hole, he might not reach every ball. That's where the limitation is. But when he reaches it, he's usually putting quality quality leather on it and throwing a dart to first. And then, of course, my guy, Brian Anderson, at third base and at right field, a defensive value over five. It's incredible what he's doing because he's literally playing gold glove defense in two different positions and in two very, very different positions, whether it's third or whether it's right field, completely different skill sets, completely different gloves. It's incredible what he's done, and it's a testament to the type of player that he is. You know what I'm going to say, extend Brian Anderson. But regardless of that, when we're talking about gold glove recipient, we're only choosing one. You have a tough choice there between George Afro, Miguel Rojas, Brian Anderson, or whomever else you'd like to add. The fish stripes, fish bites, captain, the leader of this team. I'm not going to say much here. I'm just going to give you my nominees, and then you could decide and decipher because what i want you to consider is who is the leader from the outside looking in not who i see as the leader not who we hear is the leader in the clubhouse no from outside looking in who do you think has had the most meaningful impact and veteran leadership for your miami marlins in 2019 options miguel rojas curtis granderson or martin prado we have three more rookie of the year moment of the year and most valuable player the Rookie of the Year starts off with Harold Ramirez, 24 years of age. You've already heard me give you all the numbers that I'm going to be giving today uh, on him and his season. I love the kid. I love the young man. Harold Ramirez, one of the first options. Sandy Alcantara, again, many people forget that he has rookie designation. Sandy Alcantara, likely the best pitcher of this staff. Likely the highest ceiling on the staff. But would he be your rookie of the year? And third, John Birdie, your 29-year-old rookie, soon to be 30. Would you consider him being your rookie of the year with what he's been able to produce, with the spark plug he's been in the lineup? For a year that did not necessarily have uh, the big-time prospects coming up early enough to be considered rookie of the year, you actually end up having a pretty good set of trio to look at. Whether you want the AG rookie in John Birdie, the electric guy on the mound in Sandy Alcantara, the man who knows how to hit in Harold Ramirez. Moment of the year is funny because it's the one that might be the most surprising. The most surprisingly packed, I guess, is the way that I will say it. You know, when you have a, uh, a season in year two where you know it's a rebuild and you're going to lose a lot, you don't expect to have a lot of really fun moments. I have a friend who's an Orioles fan. He doesn't have a lot of fun moments. He doesn't have three moments of the year to put into this roster. I have 10 that I could put into this bracket, rather. I sent out the, the, the tweet because the ones that I originally had was Isan Diaz's debut, right? The, the home run against Jacob deGrom with his father. Isan, Isan, Isan on Fox Sports Florida, just fantastic. I had Sandy Alcantara's all-star performance at the all-star game because, you know, after hearing for a week that he shouldn't be there and that the only reason he's there is because the Marlins needed a representative, he goes out and he shuts everyone up for that inning. Cooper's grand slam at Detroit is obviously fantastic. A fly ball, deep left field, oh! this one's hit well and gone! A grand slam for Garrett Cooper and the Marlins take the lead with two outs in the ninth inning. Wow! 
number two was a big one. Oh, man. I'll tell you what, one too many breaking balls from Green. This was hit a country mile. Miami comes through on this grand slam. And then beating Milwaukee and just slapping them with 16 runs, as well as the Marlins just destroying the social media team for the Brewers. Also something to uh, be proud of for this year. But then I put it on Twitter and, and I got a bunch of responses. Sandy's complete game shutout to sweep the Mets when they were Marlins were down six to one and they came back to beat the Phillies. The comeback against uh, the Tigers, which is discussed there. Harold Ramirez having what two, three walk-offs. The comeback on University of Miami night against with thirty plus thousand fans, thirty thousand plus fans in the stadium. All of you know Sandy's impressive starts. The complete game that he had, the complete game or the almost complete game he had against the Rockies. The 11 run inning, which was part of the 16. It just over and over again, someone said, anytime Anderson or Lou has gunned down a runner, trying to go to third. Yeah, I agree. There's been a lot. There's been a lot to discuss and a lot of moments. You tell me which one you like. We'll put it out as a poll. The ones that I'll put out are Isan Diaz's home run, Sandy Alcantara's all-star performance, Cooper's grand slam, and then the Milwaukee game with the 16 runs. But you let me know because, quite frankly, this is something to celebrate that there's enough good moments in a season where the Marlins might end up losing 100 games. And lastly, just to wrap it up, the most important one, the one that everyone usually logs into, MVP, most valuable player. Now, there's something interesting here with this bracket. This bracket has a 26-year-old who was 25 for the season, a 24-year-old who was 23 for the season, and then a 30-year-old. That tells you something about this team. Number one, it should give you hope for the future. But number two, it tells you that there is leadership with value on this team after all. See, the the 26-year-old who was 25 is Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson is clearly, and I've given you the numbers, is clearly one of the stronger candidates here for MVP. He does everything. He hits, he fields well, he has a strong arm, he's going to gun you down at third, or he's going to gun you down at first. He doesn't just hit for singles, he hits for power. He's a leader in the clubhouse. You can't ask much more of Brian, please extend him this offseason, Anderson, than what he did this year in only his second year at the major league level. The 24-year-old who was 23 for the entire season, or the majority of it, is Sandy Alcantara on the mound. The man who leads in pitching war, this team. The man who is, again, going to be all 24 all of next season until September. And is already showing you flashes of number two or ace type stuff. And the 30-year-old is Miguel Rojas at shortstop. A two-win player at shortstop in his first year where he's starting continuously. Where he didn't just do it defensively, he showed offensive prowess as well. He was scrappy. He ran the bases hard. Even now, knowing that he's on a 100-loss team, he's fighting to get to first as quickly as he can on a ground out to second base. He's a leader. He's a captain. He's someone who you might consider most valuable, even if Sandy and Brian added more on the field. I won't tell you which way to vote here the way I haven't told you for most of them, except with the birdie exception, to vote for any of the other ones. But just know that if you are already having a difficult time in year two of a rebuild, choosing between these type of players, imagine when they're 27 
and imagine when Rojas possibly is in a different position, in a different uh, status and a role within the team, and you have a Jazz Chisholm there, you have another player there, the Marlins are in good shape. Because the last bracket is what you're most excited for. And and there's not going to be a pull for that. But what I'm most excited for, and I was having this conversation with one of my uh, one of the individuals on Twitter, was that for the Marlins to truly mess up this rebuild, it would have to be a slight miracle. When you have a close to elite, and many already consider it an elite farm system, when you have a pitching staff that is top half of the team, year two into a rebuild, and when you have certain cogs like a Brian Anderson like a Harold Ramirez or an Isan Diaz or a Garrett Cooper. And, and I know that the the range of comfort of hitting those ceilings differs. And Isan Diaz is a good conversation on that. There's a great article on him on Fangraphs.com. Just look him up, uh, search Fangraphs.com and Isan Diaz. It'll come up and what they think about his future and his ability to reach his ceiling. But when you have all of those components and then you add financial flexibility, hint, hint, that might be one of our guests that we're talking to. And you add the fact that the ownership group has been responsive. It might not be pretty soon, but it would be a slight miracle if it doesn't work at the end of the day. So with that being said, this is the nominee for Fish Bites finalist awards for the year. I want it to be done purposefully. You have a week to vote on this starting Monday. Vote and retweet. I want the results to be from the fans, not just from me and not just from my peers. I want to hear what you think and who you think is deserving of the award. Make sure to log on to fishstripes.com and vote there. If not, make sure to find me on Twitter at Danny M underscore MIA and vote there. If we get our scheduled interviews within the next two weeks, then we will sandwich this and have part two of the award finalists. A few weeks from now, if not, you'll hear the results within the next the next week. As always, this is Danny Martinez. I love you guys. Thank you for listening on. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Make sure to visit us at fishstripes.com. Another thank you to Slam Radio XM for having us. Go fish. <laughs>